Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we are going to be talking about how important it is for patients to know what to do when they get confused, when they don't understand their medical bills, when they're not quite certain about what's going on with their medication. Those folks who can help you out are called advocates. So today, we are talking to a team from the Patient Advocate Alliance. This is Dr. Justin Grude, Tammy Rockholt, and Michael Fossey. And they are all part of this wonderful organization that has decided to take on some of the most difficult and complex challenges in medicine. And very often, it may not be the unusual diagnosis, but rather common stuff that can confuse all of us, myself included. So I want to thank you for joining me today on The Body Show. We're looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Now, we've talked before, and we've had you on, and uh, Dr. Justin, you've talked a lot about trying to help patients to understand what's going on with their health care. Tammy, you've talked about patients getting cards that tell them what medications they're on. Michael, you've also been involved with the Patient Advocate Alliance since the very beginning. Tell me more about the group. Why did you guys form, and what is it that you want to do? Well, Tammy and I actually started to try to do something like this about 12 years ago, but we were so busy with what we were doing at the time, we never could get um, any momentum going. And so uh, about a little over a year ago, he says, well, you know, we now know Justin, and uh, that's another person who's, who's very enthusiastic and, and has a strong background. And we've got another partner, Anand, who uh, has a good background in computers and printing and that sort of thing. So we says, well, you know, one of the reasons we couldn't do it before, we didn't have a whole team. It was just Tammy and I trying to do too much with too little. And now we've decided uh, with this group, we have the strength and the knowledge and the capability to do it. So we, we've started doing it again. And the whole point is to try to help people navigate the healthcare system because it can be a mind-boggling exercise. Even if you know something about it, it can be a mind-boggling exercise. So that's what we're trying to do is help people through the system, help prevent medication errors, and help save lives. So give me an example of what might be an activity that you would be doing to help patients, because it certainly sounds like, I got to tell you, I've been in the healthcare system over 20 years, and I still can't say that I can completely explain to how to navigate that. So what are some examples of some of the situations you guys have been dealing with? There are multiple different examples, but one we just is a very simple one is where uh, one of our patients, our client, actually had had a breast reduction surgery and had had an infection in one of her breasts post-reduction surgery for like 10 months. It was just obscene, I thought. Number one, all we did was get involved and ask some very direct questions for the doctor she was going to. Say she needed to be seen face-to-face, not just by telehealth. She needed to have like a culture and sensitivity done of of the wound before they put her on medication. Long story short, we helped direct those questions, and within three weeks, her breast, uh, a breast infection was totally resolved, and she's 18 years old. And because of all of the issues with being in a new relationship, you know, being 18, breast reduction, 
all the things that going on with being a teenager, she was having a lot of depressive thoughts, and now she's back to being her normal, happy self. It's really cool, but all we did was come up with questions of, for lack of a better word, giving very uh, direct input of what should be happening at the doctor visit, and please answer these questions. And they actually took our questions and input them into the actual healthcare visit. You know, this is applicable in so many ways. Like I'm working with somebody right now who uh, is admitted uh, for chemotherapy as an inpatient for uh, first cycle. And it's a new diagnosis, and it's all very um, overwhelming and scary, as you can imagine. And um, there's so much information to digest so quickly uh, that it's, you know, it's not really possible for a layperson, let alone somebody who, you know, who, who understands the language. And being able to, um, to make sure that the right questions are asked, which we can help you know, have somebody prepared with, um, makes such a huge difference for the patient, also for any other support uh, you know, intimate members of the family, or, and, and for you know, friends who are who are there to support, and um, and then it, you know, occasionally being able to uh, to uh, jump on a conference call with the doctor as well and help support uh, you know uh, the patient that way. There's so many different ways that, that this type of advocacy can can look. Um, that you know, there's so many different areas that where there's a need for for uh, some type of an advocate, you know, an advocate to be involved. Well, it kind of brings up the question that in both of the examples that you gave, you know, the young 18-year-old who had an infection for 10 months, you mentioned, and, you know, the person who's undergoing first-time chemotherapy, you know, it sounds to me like somehow our healthcare system is not, it's not doing well. It's it's failing in some cases, these situations, either based on not necessarily the treatment uh, in the chemotherapy case, but maybe the explanation or possibly with the 18-year-old. You know, as as much as I have really enjoyed the process of learning and getting better at telemedicine, there are some things that need to be seen in person. So I'm curious, when you think about the experiences and interactions that all of you have had over the last many years in healthcare, where are we? where do we need to do better? What are things that either physicians or providers or even patients can do that will help to avoid having these situations continue to occur? I think that what has occurred in medicine, and it's good news and bad news, is that we have had, we've become like silos of different specialties. So cardiology is one silo, uh, pulmonology is another one, orthopedics another one, and the two do not, uh, the different ones do not integrate. And I think that what is interesting is that by letting someone know that, like when we're talking about this 18-year-old, she all of a sudden has realized that, hey, I can ask questions of a doctor and it's okay. And it's like, it's not just okay, we want you to be an educated consumer. So yes, you need to because for lack of a better word right now, our healthcare system, we have very good specialists that there's no one really tying it together, and that's where the nurse case management really comes into effect. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting you brought up both areas. You mentioned silos of specialties, and so, you know, a cardiologist might not necessarily be doing the same treatment that an orthopedist might be doing, and then there may be some some areas where they need to be coordinated, and that would be, 
you know, something primary care doctors can do. I see often with the levels of numbers of patients they're seeing, sometimes that's not something that they have the easiest time doing. I mean, electronic medical records have been wonderful, but only when they communicate with one another. You know, I'm lucky enough to work at uh, Straub Medical Center where the cardiologist is often the doctor who's using the same medical chart that I am. So it makes it easy, but it's not as easy if people are using different medical record systems. So I can see where that silo would be even worse in that situation. Do you find that EMRs or electronic medical record systems, have they helped us in some ways and maybe hurt us in others? They've helped and hurt. And where the electronic health record is very good is if they all integrate and they all talk to each other. Here on Big Island, Mike has a cardiologist that has one healthcare system, uh, North Hawaii Hospital, where his hematologist is, has another healthcare system. His internal medicine doctor in Waimea has another electronic health system. None of the three talk to each other. And so that's also a reason why having the medication card is so important is because none of the three systems are talking together. And this is right here in a, what, 45-mile focus. A very small area. The good news is my uh, cardiologist, Dr. Derbis, now has access to the Queen's system. So he can log on and look at my my chart. He doesn't have to wait for his system to catch up with it. So he can log on. But uh, progress, progress. Slow but sure, absolutely. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk with our folks from Patient Advocate Alliance, Dr. Justin Grew, Dr. Tammy, uh, Tammy Rockholt, and Michael Fossey. And we are going to discuss some more about the card they mentioned. What is this card and how can that be helpful when we talk about people trying to coordinate their records and be their own advocate? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Chaminade University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with the folks from Patient Advocate Alliance, Dr. Justin Grude, Tammy Rockholt, Michael Fossey. And right before the break, we were talking about Sometimes electronic medical records don't always talk to one another. It's sometimes even harder. I mean, we can easily pick up a phone, but that doesn't make it as easy in EMRs. Now, there are some new rules and regulations about transparency that are taking place, but that doesn't always fix the problem that is right in front of us, which is, you know, you don't want to have to choose your doctors based on medical records. You want to choose them based on how great they are and where they're available to you in the community. And we need to make the record systems work for us and not the other way around. Now, right, you were mentioning, Tammy, about a card. And that's something that alludes to some of the other work that your group does, which is really helping to empower patients understand what medications they're on, why, and why it's important to keep that list. Tell us about the card. It is so important for your healthcare provider to know what medications you're on and especially any allergies. And one thing that we just added was also your emergency contact. But the card is so important because I, when I used to work trauma and someone come into the ER and they would say, well, I take a pink oblong pill and a round uh, pill that's white, it's like, Uh, We need to know more specificity on that, and 
Mike can really describe this really well. So being one of the founders, I, of course, was one of the very first people to get a card. And last May, I had the opportunity to use it in a real setting. Um, I had a small bowel obstruction. And Tammy drove me way too fast up to North Hawaii Community Hospital. But since COVID was going on, she couldn't come in with me. So she couldn't come in to tell the uh, ER doctor and the nurse what drugs I was taking. But I was able to pull the card out of my wallet and hand it to him because I was my pain level was 8 to 10. I couldn't talk very well, and I probably couldn't remember most of them anyway. So right away, they knew that I was hypertensive, not just from the pain, but fundamentally. And so uh, they knew that, uh, you know, I could have vomited, probably did vomit up all my medications. So they immediately gave me hypertensive medications intravenously. And, you know, I don't, maybe it kept me from stroking out. Who knows? But the fact is they knew what to give me because of the card. <clears throat> it certainly expedited uh, appropriate treatment, which, which may not have happened as quickly. Right. And that could have put you at significant risk considering how, <clears throat> how high your blood pressure was yeah. at the time. And they were assuming it was due to pain, but it was actually because he hadn't received uh, his, um, his critical cardiac medications. Well, I can only imagine that a situation like that, when we think about people on blood thinners or heart medications, or sometimes people don't realize that one medication might not be allowed to be used with some of the common blood pressure pills or antibiotics or even cholesterol medications that people very often take. So knowing that is really important, particularly in an emergency situation, but also when you talk about seeing the various specialists, the silos that we alluded to earlier, you know, somebody might not realize that a certain medicine interacts with another one and then there becomes a question. Sometimes the pharmacist will pick that up if both medications are picked up at the same pharmacy, but that's not always the case. So what is this card and how does somebody go about getting one and do they carry it all the time and who needs this sort of a device? Is it something that everybody should have? I think everyone should have it, but mostly people, you know, who are you know, 50 and up, because, you know, when we're young, we usually don't take so many medications. But uh, as we get older, as you know, we, we generally take more and more medications. So anyone who's taking more than one or two types of medication should have one in their wallet. And it's very easy to get it. You go to patientadvocatealliance.com and click on the medication card button, and it'll walk you through uh, buying a subscription. And if you buy a subscription, you get 10 cards sent to your home address. And you get free upgrades for a year. So if if you uh, you know change your medication or or anything, it's also very rugged. It's very thin, so it'll fit right in your wallet, right next to your uh, driver's license and your insurance card. But we've made it out of material you can't even tear. So it's it's pretty much indestructible. It's water water resistant. Um, and yeah, I think everyone who takes medication should have one in their wallet. You know, even if you just have a medication allergy, even if you're not taking anything, but you know that you can't do penicillin or you know that you have an allergy to, to contrast dye, so like getting a, a, you know, a CT scan or, um, excuse me, or, you know, any, you know, anything that you have some type of an anaphylactic reaction to, um, that's a good thing to just carry, you know, next to your ID and your insurance card, uh, just in case you wind up in a situation where you're, you're, you're not able to remember that or, or, or speak that, though. So, it's, it's um, you know, and there was some uh, um, pretty significant research that was published by John, John Hopkins um, just a couple of years ago talking about the number of, um, you know, bad outcomes in terms of mor morbidity, mortality in this country related to these types of situations 
they're not necessarily, um, you know, medical error or medication error. Um, you know, sometimes these are not, um, you know, something that can be controlled, but they can be prevented by just taking a simple step of carrying, you know, the appropriate information on your person, you know, in your wallet. Uh, it's one thing that we can all do for each other, uh, for ourselves, and also for our loved ones, is, uh, you know, make sure that we are protecting ourselves. It's a, you know, this is, this is something we're passionate about. You know, we're a patient advocacy company. Uh, we really care about um, things that people can do to empower themselves, and this is a really simple one. It's, it's like getting back to the basics. Well, and I would agree. I think in this time of COVID, you know, Tammy, you mentioned that one person in an emergency room, you know, right now they're not allowing big groups of family members and possibly the person who might know what's going on may not be allowed to go back in the room with the patient. So there's also that. I think one of the things that COVID has done is really made it even more important that people understand what they're taking, what they're on, and that they have that information available at their fingertips should it be needed. I suspect that sooner or later, in addition to the stuff that's on the card, it might need to say, you know, vaccinated against COVID. That's a whole nother situation of having like a little COVID vaccine card. I think, you know, I received a little paper one when I got my first shot and they said, don't lose it. Bring it back for your second shot. And my first thought was, oh, no, I'm the type of person I'm going to lose it. I mean, I'm going to put it somewhere <laughs> safe and then I'm going to forget where safe is. And, you know, I was able to bring it for the second shot. But, you know, I'd really I I. I need some better reminders to keep those things in order. So I definitely think keeping all that information at your fingertips is ideal. And you mentioned that it really did help with your situation, Michael, when you were in the emergency room. I can only imagine that that would help for a lot of other folks. Have you had examples or situations where having that knowledge in hand helped save a life? I can only imagine that, you know, if somebody was on a blood thinner, that might totally change their evaluation if you find that they hit their head. You know, there's other things that would be considered. One of our patients, actually, that we had actually assisted with uh, air ambulance bill like three years ago, he actually is on a blood thinner called Eliquist, and he had hit his head. He started acting a little bit loopy. His neighbor took him to the emergency room because he was dragging his leg, a little bit of slurred speech. CT at North Hawaii showed, North Hawaii Community Hospital showed that he had a bleed that was immediately airbagged over to Queens Hospital. And they wanted to do an emergency craniotomy. And they pulled out of his wallet because what we tell patients to do is put your medication card right behind your driver's license, which is behind your insurance card, which is behind your medication card. They pulled that out, saw that he was on Eliquis, and went, oh, and they put him in a medically induced coma and delayed his surgery for three days because Eliquis is a blood thinner that has no uh, way to reverse it, no counteraction. If you're on Coumadin, which is a very frequent blood thinner, you can get vitamin K and immediately reverses it. Eliquis does not have that. They waited three days to do his evacuation of the intracranial bleed, and he's now doing great. But his neurosurgeon at Queens said that if he had had the surgery immediately, he probably would have bled out on the table and not survived. And now he's back driving, walking his dog. So an excellent outcome. 
Just because he had that on a card. Absolutely. That's the sort of advocacy that I know all three of you feel so passionate about. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what are other ways we can empower patients with my folks today from the Patient Advocate Alliance. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Bavarian Motor Experts. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we have Dr. Justin Grood, Tammy Rockholt, and Michael Fossey from the Patient Advocate Alliance on the line, and we're talking about ways that patients can possibly even save their own lives by having information available at their fingertips. So far, we've talked a little bit about having a medication card, which can be found through their website, that you can have update anytime you need to and keep all of your medicines straight and on a list that will be available to all of your providers and a somewhat indestructible list from what I hear. In addition, at the top of the hour, we were talking about ways in which we can have people become their own advocate and empowering patients. And Tammy, you mentioned there's a patient that had an infection for up to 10 months and just wasn't really her own advocate about what was going on. What are some of the other areas that patients can get confused about? Do medications and bills sometimes cause them to have a lot of stress because they're just not quite sure what what's going on with some of the paperwork they receive? Yes. So uh, before we started talking, you mentioned uh, auto accidents and how people can use up their the benefit from their auto uh, insurance company very quickly. And we had a, a patient advocate patient here in the village recently whose husband was in an accident. And, you know, all the bills from the emergency room, the doctors, and the ambulance, well, it turns out uh, by the time the, one, the first one that happened was the ambulance, but they were slow sending in their bill. So by the time they got the bill, the benefits had all been used up. They'd been all used up by the emergency room and the doctors. So, so suddenly they get back this bill from the ambulance saying uh, they owe them, I forget how many, thousand dollars or something like that and of course there are a couple of elderly people well into their 70s or 80s and very upset because you know that was a lot of money for someone on on uh, limited income well all it took was for tammy to talk to him a little bit and let him know that okay it was rejected by your auto insurance company but the fact is you can now resubmit it to hmsa and your medicare and they'll pay for it even though they weren't the primary but because your benefits all used up on the auto accident, they could get it paid. It wasn't completely paid. There was still some deductible that they owed, but it took it from a few thousand down to a few hundred and took a lot of stress out of their life. Absolutely. That sounds like mystery bills. You know, there's always uh, people who get bills in the mail they don't understand. And for those people who are not familiar with the healthcare system, it's all just, you know, smoke and mirrors. They have no idea what's going on and what bills they need to pay and what bills they don't. What should, you know, how do people handle that? And Tammy, how do you find your way to get involved in these situations? And it sounds like, you know, anybody could require that help because sometimes it's hard for even me to understand what some of the stuff is going out there. One thing that we try to do is let patients know there is a lot of public resources out there that give free information and one thing that there actually is is there is a database called fair health and it gives you pricing 
of what doctors are billing in the local geographic region. This gives you information, number one, to become an educated consumer. But what I really encourage anyone to do that is listening is if they would like a copy of the presentation that we've done several times here on the Big Island between uh, up at Tutu's house in Waimea for Waikolo Seniors that gives a lot of the references that are public information that are free that are not advertised. We really want people to be aware of them. And so if they want to email me at Tammy at Patient Advocate Alliance, and it's T-A-M-I at PatientAdvocateAlliance.com, we would be glad to send them that presentation because and explain it because there are so many things that people can do themselves to become educated consumers. I, I believe the presentation is also on our website under okay. education. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So lots of ways people can get educated, but it's often hard for them to even know they need the education. So, you know, how would somebody, if if they just needed to know more about what to do when they get a health care bill, are these the types of people that you wind up hearing from and trying to help out? Yes, and they can uh, call the 800 number on our website, and Dr. Justin will answer it. Sometimes he can't answer it 24 hours a day, but he, he always gets back to people. Um, they also have the ability to contact us through the website, and we can answer by email. And, you know, Tammy and Justin and I, all three of us, are willing to answer questions about bills by email, and usually we can turn around and answer within 24 hours. We may not have 100% of the answers, but we can certainly help people and guide them how to ask the right questions of their insurance company and, or ask questions of their healthcare provider if there's something that's unclear. So we, we like to give guidance on those things, and, and we're willing to do that uh, for anybody. And also just um, help pull things together so that, you know, we were talking about the silos with treatment providers. There's sometimes the silos with insurance companies. And we had a patient that I think uh, was similar to the one that Mike had talked about, but where the patient had actually been in a car accident where the, for some reason the car insurance company said that it wasn't their responsibility because the heart attack happened before the accident. And it was like, we got in the middle of it and said, this is not uh, acceptable and blah, 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 blah. Long story short, the insurance company was like, okay, we'll pay up. And they, the car insurance company started paying immediately as soon as we just wrote one letter saying, this is not acceptable. How are you determining the car accident did not, uh, that heart attack occurred before the car accident or vice versa? That's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one phone call could save thousands of dollars and certainly hours and hours of a hassle that unfortunately I think a lot of people feel, like you mentioned, the older couple who sort of felt, you know, this is a fixed income. How are we going to pay these bills? And they had no idea that there may be some other resources out there. Well, we've got about a minute left. Uh, Dr. Groot, Tammy, Michael, any pa- any final thoughts on ways that people can empower themselves to take better charge of what's going on with their health or their health care bills? I would say, you know, a, a really important pearl is to try to use one pharmacy for uh, filling all your prescriptions. And if you are going to use more than one pharmacy, make sure that your pharmacists all know everything that you're taking 
so that they can run a proper interaction check uh, with all your medications. And that's, that's one thing that falls, slips through the cracks, um, you know, where it's just like with, with doctors who are not in the same, um, you know, uh, electronic system, pharmacists are not either. And, and they, this is an important way to protect yourself from um, errors that, that are totally preventable. <clears throat> Well, that's an excellent point, which I didn't even think about, which is, you know, in any way you can consolidate, the one thing you could do is potentially get everything in one location. Might make it easier. And as you mentioned, have pharmacists help be part of this wonderful healthcare team that the three of you have so well demonstrated as part of the Patient Advocate Alliance. I want to thank Dr. Justin Grude, Tammy Rockholt, and Michael Fossey from the Patient Advocate Alliance for sharing their expertise with us today. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org and follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong and Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week when we talk more about health topics right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then. Woo! 